At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. It's dark. How are you? Good. Yeah, uh, it, uh, it was a little bit sedated there, so I, I take it many of you were attacked by the tornado last night. You've uh, made it out alive. Way to go. I, that's a matter of perspective. I have a daughter that lives in Mobile, Alabama, and I'll call and say, hey, there's another hurricane coming through, which happens about every two or three days, and she tells us, dad, relax, it's just a cat too. I'm like, okay, well, perspective is everything, I guess. She said, yep, oh, there goes a whale. That's awesome. So um, it's... It's, uh, it's, it really is perspective. I love uh, her life and Mobile and the perspective that gives us. Um, I want to tell you some things, and I'm going to make this as quick as I can because updates are endless for us. We're not together enough, so I'm just going to tell you, if you want to know more, you can visit us online. That tells uh, you just about everything, crossroadsfarm.org, and you can get uh, pretty consistent updates. What I do want to tell you is this year has been a year, right? Everybody is kind of making stuff up and figuring things out and saying, all right, is it safe? Is it not safe? Oh, we're going to preach about that today. Uh, We're going to preach about vows made. And I believe that weathermen have an obligation to sell less drama and actually be more accurate. If you're a weatherman, I apologize. I know I know nothing about meteorology or how meteors have anything to do with weather. But I will say this, that last night we were trying to get some sushi and apparently the tornado had stopped all of the raw fish consumption because they were, they were shutting restaurants down. And I'm like, if I go out in a tornado, I wanna be eating something. So just my, uh, my personal perspective, if I'm going to die, at least let me be, you know, happy. So, uh, so that's where I was. Uh, this year, we had an interesting scenario. All year long, we were making adjustments, um, but we were stepping into faith. This is a critical component because it does weigh into uh, the sermon that I'm going to speak about, where we're going in, in the Beatitudes today. See, when we speak in faith, we have an obligation to fulfill those, those vows, those pledges. And I want to say, before we even start the sermon proper, that God intends to fulfill your faith statements. He intends to fulfill the promises that you make in your obedience to him. He intends to. He says it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, that as we speak for him, we speak for him in faith, knowing that we have no control over the outcome. Isn't that a scary statement? That I make a statement and it's up to God to come through? That's like our wives, men. <laughs> they have to make statements. Yeah, he'll be there. I don't know how. I'll get him out of the house somehow. I think this is really critical. I think it's critical that we understand that God intends to fulfill those statements that we make in faith. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say this, God intends to fulfill. And I'm not joking. If you're not looking at somebody, you are disobedient believers. <laughs> so just turn to someone. I don't care if they're another dude and you feel weird talking to them. Turn to them and say, God intends to fulfill. Go ahead, this is a vow. The statements I make in regard to faith. 
I want you to hear that because if we as the church of Jesus Christ act in faith prompted by God's spirit, we would see miraculous movement across this nation and across the world. But because we hedge our bets, we see an impotent God do nothing. Whoa, got serious, Doug. Say something funny. Okay. We, uh, we are coming into the new year and we are saying, all right, we're supposed to have this winter retreat and camps are freaking out. They were freaking out. They're saying hand sanitizer is at every, just think about that, junior hires and hand sanitizers. Um, it's just hilarious and scary all at the same time. And so uh, they, they're saying there's hand sanitizer everywhere. Here are the extra masks. And I have a sister-in-law who works with kindergartners uh, and um, she said, imagine what happens to those masks when kids are forced to wear them. And I said, well, yeah, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just making a funny statement. I just think it's funny to think about a junior, higher, a, a, a freshman, anybody who's got a mask on for any duration of time. You have sucked on it. You've blowed your nose on it. I actually clean my glasses with it most often, <laughs> unless I've sucked on it, and then it doesn't help the glasses. What I've noticed is this, that this year was just one of those years where we're saying, okay, where, where, where do we land How do we make decisions? How do we stay safe? How do we make those wise decisions that allow people to understand God's still in control, but we want you to feel okay about it? And so one of our concepts was, what do we do with winter retreat? And here's what we said, we'll pray. That's all we can do anyway. We said, we'll pray. And then we called the camp and we said, okay, we're gonna pray. What can you do numbers wise to keep our kids safe? And they said, I don't know, we'll work on it. And they did, they divided us across the camp. And as that, uh, as that winter retreat came out, we became aware of something. We became aware that kids were desperate to be together. And in spite of the fact that we tried to be as safe as we could, again, no political statements here, just an observation. What happened was our winter retreat set an attendance record. 253 students showed up. That means a lot more buses. And kids wore masks on that. You know, I, I know we're kind of over the mask thing, but you know, at that point, January, nobody knew, and you're kind of like, oh, what do we do? Here's why God put 253 kids on buses. Because at that winter retreat, over 60 decisions to follow Jesus were made. 60 decisions. We can make little choices all the time. But I believe that God earnestly wants us to make the greatest possible decisions for him. Just think about that. In fact, I believe that so much that I I do weddings from time to time and I haven't changed the vows to lessen them because that's a vow before God. God intends to fulfill the pledges we make to each other. And just think about the vows. I take you to be my wedded wife, to have to hold from this day forward, for better, for sicker, poorer, richer, poorer, sicker than hell. I mean, we've got this list of things and if you start reading it, you realize, I don't know that I can fulfill any of these. I don't. It's a vow that I make in good faith, knowing that God's got my back, but I can't really fulfill it. To love and honor, to cherish, from, to cherish. Do you feel cherished? Did you feel cherished this week? If not, smack your significant other. <laughs> Say, you should cherish me more. That's a a vow we took in front of a bunch of witnesses. And they all sat there and they went, yep, 
in spite of the fact they've been married for 50 years and they're like, hey, quit nudging me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love this concept uh, that we're going to go through today because it is a vow that God intends to fulfill through us. Like all vows in scripture, we are incapable of making it happen. My integrity doesn't come from me, it comes from God. My faithfulness comes from God, not from me. My, my, my ability to see the need in my world comes from God, not from me. I, I'm constantly aware that God is doing all the heavy lifting in this relationship called faith. How about you? In spite of that, I feel like my life is about making the promise and then hedging the bet. Winston Churchill said this, he said the mark of a great a great politician is one who can see what's going to happen next week and next year and can give an explanation for why it didn't happen. I love that quote. That's the way I feel like I'm living my life sometimes. I feel like I'm doing a medical commercial, you know, all the drug commercials now. Sometimes you're deluged and you think, is the whole world sick? Do we all need this new drug? And I, so I was thinking about these, these drugs that are, you know, and I, I listen to them and sometimes I just listen to them for the potential disaster that could befall me, you know? I think that's hilarious. So I wrote one. If I could do a, dr if I could do a drug for myself, it would be one that would help me sleep. And it would be called Snoria. <laughs> My wife would like me to change the name. Here's what I said. Snoria can help three out of 1,000 patients experience a good night's rest. Always consult your physician to see if Snoria is right for you. In some cases, patients have complained about nausea, diarrhea, hives, excessive acne outbreaks, loss of taste, sight, and hearing. Less than 20% may experience slight cases of leprosy. If parts of your body fall off while taking Snoria, discontinue use immediately and call your physician. Other side effects include Ebola, stupid children, decreased desire for life, bad SAT scores, and global warming. Snoria, for the person who's willing to risk everything for a good night's sleep. Right? Don't you feel like that's your life? I make the promise, and then I'm like, I gotta hedge this somehow. It's the weathermen who say there's a 40% chance of rain, which is a 60% chance it's not going to rain, but who knows? I, either way, I've got a chance. I'm reading through scripture and I realize this. I realize that I make promises. I make them with my family. I make them with my church. I make them with my God. I make them with my coworkers all the time. And without God's faithfulness and his power, I have no chance of fulfilling any of it, right? This is what faith is. Faith is the stark reality that I am incapable of any of the spiritual requirements for faith, except for trust. I love that concept. I, I was uh, reading through the book of Judges not too long ago with my wife. We do that. We read the Bible together every day. And we were reading through the book of Judges. There are some whacked out stories there, including a guy named Jephthah. And Jephthah makes a vow before God. And I'm like, what an idiot. He is an idiot. He's making one of those bold statements that we make, you know, like we come forward and we say, a fifth of all I own, I will give to God. And, uh, and, but what he said is, I will offer whatever comes through the door next. I don't know what he thought was coming. I didn't know if he had goats in there or what. But the first thing out of the door was his daughter. And he'd, he'd vowed before God. Here's the amazing thing. I got mad at Jephthah. I'm like, God never asked you to make that statement. You were operating entirely in pride. This was a showboat vow. 
This was you showing everybody how godly you were. You'd give whatever you had. But it was a stupid vow. And God never required your daughter. In spite of that, he did it. What an idiot. You know, sometimes I find that my vows bind me to things that God never intended me to be bound. Just ask yourself this question. Have you ever gone over the, the, uh, over the top in an attempt to look good for somebody in spite of the fact they don't expect it? Have you ever said yes because it is just sheer guilt that makes you do it? You don't feel called. You don't actually want to. You just do it because you feel guilty if you don't. Somebody else might think badly if you do something wrong. How about this? Have you ever, have you ever done something because you don't want people to talk badly about you? These are not godly vows. So we're going to talk about what Jesus thought a godly vow was. Uh, but I want to set the stage here. Let me set the stage. In Matthew chapter 5, 17, this is crazy talk, by the way. Everything that I'm going to share with you today came from the mouth of Jesus, and people just had to hang their mouths open and say, what? It was already hard to serve God, and you're making it some kind of, some kind of perfection state. Exactly. Jesus was going to take something out of the realm of rules and regulations and he was going to convert it into a system of lifestyle that only he could empower. A reliance on God that we'd never had up until then. See, the incredible statement that he is making, that Jesus is making in chapter five and verse 17, I know that's a key that we've been spending time on, but here it is, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus takes this, our word to a new level of integrity, a personalized level of integrity. Here's what it says in verse 17, but I'll keep on reading for a few more verses. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to jump in. This is all precursor, so get ready. What he was saying is, I haven't come to get rid of the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And I always thought that that was a personal statement. Jesus is like, I'm going to do it right so you can see what it looks like. That is not what he was saying. That means we're still trying to do it ourselves. If he just shows us how it's supposed to be done right, and then we try and copy him, that is still external faith that is trying to make an internal change. Jesus was saying this, and I want you to hear this. This is not some kind of heaven statement. This is an earth statement. He was saying, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the law and the prophets, according to scripture, were fulfilled in Christ. I want you to hear this. This has already been fulfilled in you through him. For me, my mind is blown. Wait, what do you mean? That means whatever Jesus is going to say is something that he's already done in me? Yes. For I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not a single jot or a stroke of the pen. See, notice that. Heaven and earth will pass away, future tense. Not a single jot, not a single stroke, not a single pen mark is going to pass away. And then he says this. He says, until everything is accomplished through Christ. 
Verse 19, so then whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do likewise will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Look, he's talking to the Pharisees here. And then he says this, but whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For, verse 20 is the key, for I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to hear this. He's not talking about heaven in the sweet by and by. He will, he's saying you will never experience what this thing called a faith walk is supposed to be. This is all present tense. It's funny when we read those Beatitudes, we were like, blessed are the peacemakers for that. And we interpret that. We say, okay, that's, that's for right now. But we get to this little passage because it gets spiritual. We start thinking, oh, maybe that's for the future. No, that's right now too. Do we really want to experience what it means to live like the kingdom of heaven exists? My answer is, I hope so. Because the hope of the world is not that we'll eventually get it right as Christians and show them how, but that Christ has already done it in and through us. That's it. There's no hope if the world's waiting for us to figure it out and get it right. Are we in agreement? That's not happening. But through Christ, it does. We as uh, humans tend to do things because we regard righteousness as something that comes as an action. My righteousness, I tell the truth. That's, that's righteousness. No, no, it's the opposite. I'm righteous, so I tell the truth. We think that faithfulness, faithfulness, you know, I'm, I'm loyal to my wife. That makes me faithful. No, faithfulness keeps you loyal to your wife or your husband. I, I want you to understand that this is an inside out. This is a Christ work. This is the Holy Spirit working in us. And he's changing us day in and day out, empowering us supernaturally. That ought to be an amen somewhere. Because I don't know about your experience. My experience is I'm not doing so well on my own. Uh, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things that I want to do, I can't seem to get around to. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. If you've ever felt guilty for saying no because your life is jammed, and you may want to ask yourself, is my yes and no flipped upside down? Is my yes or no flipped upside down? Do I say yes to too many things so I have to say no to things that I know would have, been, would have been the best thing to say yes to? That happens a lot. I say yes to so many things that I have to say no to everything else because I made obligations and I have to fulfill them and I have, that's me fulfilling my pledge, my vow. But it's not God. It's not 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. If your best yes is waiting, it is waiting for very good no's. Learning to say no to the things that God has not called us to but I want you to hear something. This is really, really important. That doesn't mean we say no until God supernaturally writes something on the wall for you. Because we have technology. We'll write stuff on the wall. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. I, I want you to hear this. That this is a reliance passage. Where we're going today is a reliance about integrity. It's a reliance on God. The, the Beatitudes were establishing, this Sermon on the Mount was establishing greater context for faith. It, it wasn't 
establishing lesser context. It was making this more impossible, not less impossible. Because Christ is eternal, the law, the law was only a temporary means to an end until Christ fulfilled it. Matthew 5, 33, take your Bibles and turn there if you got them. If not, you can read the screen. Matthew 5, 33 says this again. You've heard it said, you've heard it said, and it was said to the ancients, and I looked that up, and I, I did some study, and I'm amazed that people who write commentaries don't necessarily ever have answers. They just say, people who lived long ago. Actually, it was called the old people, kind of. It, it was, you know, men of old is what it said. Men of old, so I guess I qualify. It says, again, you've heard it said, and it was said to the ancients, don't break your oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. I, I don't know what that meant about my vows to you. I guess they didn't matter. In fact, what you'll find is that the culture in this day had to borrow authority from something else to make you believe that they were telling the truth. The words didn't mean much. Does that sound familiar? Think about your cell phone right now. What does your, uh, what, what does your answer say when people don't actually reach you? What does it say? I love this as an example because it's really practical. Hey, this is Doug. I can't get to the phone right now, which happens to be in my pocket, and I totally could if I wanted to, and if I saw that you're really important. But I'm not going to because right now I'm watching TV, and I know I can get back to you in 20 minutes. I love the fact that what we're going to be talking about is that my oath, my word, my bond is more important than I ever thought. In this day and age, it's amazing. How many of you have ordered something from Amazon recently? And they pledged, and I'm not ripping on Amazon. I need Amazon. We live in the country. We're not getting stuff unless Amazon brings it. It's not like I can run to the store and get certain things. So I just want you to hear this. Amazon will say, hey, it comes on Tuesday. How many of you have waited Tuesday and it didn't come? Yesterday, my wife just got a new pair of shoes that I bought her for the wedding three weeks ago. And I bought them three weeks before the wedding. It was six weeks they were supposed to arrive before the wedding. They just showed up at my door. Fortunately, she still has the clothes. I want you to hear this. Our word doesn't mean very much. We promise everything. He says this, but I tell you not to swear at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne or by earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king, nor should you swear by your head for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Well, we can now, but, but we're cheating. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything more comes from the evil one. Sometimes I thought, wait a minute. So if I say I promise or I swear, it's some kind of satanic prayer or vow or promise? No. What this passage is clearly saying, if you look at it again, it says don't swear by heaven for it's God's throne. And what can you promise in heaven? Nothing. It's God's. And don't swear by the earth because it's his footstool. And what can you swear by the earth? You can't even predict weather. <laughs> you don't even know when it's going to snow or rain. Sometimes it snows when it's supposed to be sunny. Sometimes it's sunny when it's supposed to be. Well, in Michigan, it's never sunny. 
It's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. What he is saying in that passage is this. Every vow that we make, every promise that we make is already made by God. Any fulfillment that is going to happen is going to happen because God fulfills it. Right? Don't say tomorrow I'm going to come, James chapter four. Don't say uh, today or tomorrow I'll go and I'll make money and I'll do this and I'll stay for this while. Don't say it because none of you can make any of that happen. Here's the passage. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go there <laughs> to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make a profit. You don't even know what'll happen tomorrow. What he's saying in Matthew 5.33 is a critical statement. It's bigger than your yeses and your noes. It involves your yeses and noes, but it is bigger than that. What it is saying is that we come under God's power, authority, and sovereignty. And any vow that we intend to make is only fulfilled by him. That's what marriage ceremonies are all about. It enslaves us to the power and will of God. Wow. So four years ago, we made some vows. <laughs> Crossroads Farm makes a lot of promises. We don't make them in God's name. We do them for God's will. There's a difference. We went to Harrison County, Ohio, and we, we said we would like to start a crossroads farm here. And people said, when are you gonna start? And we said, we don't know. Here, here's what we need to start. We need two directors. Those directors need to be trained. They need to carry some of our DNA. But uh, we believe that God's called us here. We know that because there's a man of peace who's spoken into this need. You guys as pastors are sitting at this table. We believe that there's a great need. We're gonna, we're gonna step into it. But we're not gonna promise it because the promise isn't ours to make. And we don't have a director. And within a year, somebody said, well, we think we have a director. Actually, I think it was the year two that they said, we think we might have somebody. And a young man named Luke came to the farm and he began to train. And he's been with us for a little over two years. And he trained and he got everything done. And we said, Luke, you can't go until we have that second director. It's, it's, it's not God's will, but it is the policy because we've done it without the, the team before and we burned people out. It's just good wisdom. And he said, okay. And we said, will you trust God for this? And he said, sure. It was easy in year one, but his year two started to come to an end and he had uh, come close to completing all his training to be a director. He started to say, where's the second guy? Why are you guys holding me back? And we consistently said, we're not holding you back. This is God. God knows what we feel in, in wisdom we have to have to launch. My question is, why is he holding the launch back? Not me. I want you to go now. I don't want my daughter to go with you. They got married, by the way. <laughs> but I want you guys to go. I do. I earnestly want this because I've fallen in love with the community called Harrison County. And we haven't made a promise, but boy, they're counting on us. We could feel the weight of their expectations riding on our coattails. I want you to hear me when I say this. We hadn't made promises, but it was pretty close to that. And I asked Luke as a young director, I said, what is God still trying to teach you? What is he trying to teach me? Get on your knees and ask him. And one of the things that God still had to teach him is ownership. He still did. In the last two months, God has done incredible things in Luke's life. 
he has stepped up from where he started, and I'll just tell a little story on him. He, he, he used to think we worked too hard, and he told us we worked too hard. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, that's great. Now, over the last two months, he has done everything that he had to do, and then some. He was preaching, he's doing a wedding, he's doing, he's doing everything a director has to do. He's ready. And he came and said, I think I'm ready. And we said, does God think that? Just, just a couple months ago, we met with the pastors in Harrison County again. We were uh, praying because we thought we'd found our administrator, which meant that the timeline would be the fall of 2022 for student ministries in Caddis, Ohio. Pretty excited about it. The reason we're going to Ohio is that we have a burden, a passion for the lost in Ohio, and we're convinced that it's most of them. <laughs> at, least all the, at least all the Buckeye fans, we're pretty sure all the Buckeye fans need Jesus in a desperate, desperate way, because a football team doesn't win that much unless they've made a vow before Satan. Because <laughs> we're godly in Michigan State. <laughs> Oh, here it is. We started praying, Lord, who's that second guy? We thought we found him. His name was John. So one of our directors had a meeting with the pastor and said, Lord, I pray that you'll be with Luke as he begins this ministry. And we believe at this point you've called John to work with Luke. But Lord, it might not be John and it might be Mark or Matthew. <laughs> there was a guy sitting in there. He'd never been to a meeting before. His name was Mark. And John said no. And Mark is driving home, and he's like, they said my name. <laughs> and it looks highly likely, in fact, Mark just told us this week, he said, short of God, slamming a door shut, I will be the next administrative director at Harrison County. And the timeline was right back on God's time, which is the fall of 2022. I'm glad we didn't promise it. I'm glad that God fulfilled it. I can't even make my hair the right color. <laughs> See, we need to understand just a couple things. Number one, I, I, I don't even make travel plans biblically without making sure that God has said yes. Paul did that in 2 Corinthians chapter one. Just a couple highlights. Verses 12 through about verse 20. There are a couple little pieces. He says this. And I love it. Verse 12. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies. Our conscience testifies. We haven't made any claims that our conscience doesn't testify to. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you. Relations with you. Our vows, our relationship promises. And then he says this that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace, not on worldly wisdom, not on our plans, not on our promises, not on our ability to fulfill them, but on God's grace. And when we speak, and I'm going to come back to this again and again, church, we need to speak in faith because God loves the lost world more than we do. And he wants to fulfill his own promise through that. But sometimes we hedge our bets. We give it a 40% chance that I'll be likely to be committed to this cause or to this energy or to this sharing the gospel. 
I'm 20% sure that I'm gonna be able to make a prayer meeting or I'm 15% I'm sure. And we use words that hedge God's faithfulness in our lives. It's not God that won't be faithful. It's us who do not trust him to be faithful. And so we don't make promises that only God can fulfill. Do you realize how far we've come from the Red Sea? Stand on the Red Sea and you say, well, we're gonna cross this. And if God doesn't come through in some pretty incredible ways, we're gonna die at the hands of the Egyptians. When was the last time? I can honestly say this, we, we live this. Not, not in bold, boldness or, or, or some kind of pride, it's not us. But we've learned to trust that God intends to fulfill his word and he will every time. So what do you do with that? Just a couple practical suggestions. Number one, weigh your promises. Weigh your promises. Is God really in this? What, what are the most important things you're going to do? We'll come to that in a second. But listen, in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, it says, which of you wishing to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? See if he has the resources to complete it. Um, in our training model, what we use for students and adults is, are, are four words, faithful, available, teachable, and respectful. We're looking for fatter students. It's not mine, it's uh, Dan Spader's. Faithful, available, teachable, and respectful. I have some friends who are, um, who are living uh, carnal lives, and so they say it's faithful, available, respectful, and teachable because they think it's funnier when you work those words out. They're not looking for fatter students. They're looking for junior hires. Here's what I want you to get. I want you to know that when we lay the foundation to finish the work that God's laid in front of us, we calculate the cost and we make every intention to be faithful and we make ourselves available. Available means that I clear my calendar so I do what God has laid in front of us. Don and I were reading a book this week and I was uh, moved. Don said, do you have any areas like this in your life? I said, I've been thinking about this for five days. Something that happened in college, it was a college friend of mine, and I said, I need to make this right. I'm 61 years old this summer, 61, I'm going back to college. And God brought it to mind. You know what that means? We gotta free up the schedule so I can make it right with a friend. Faithful, available. My yes is yes, even if it's retroactive. Number two, we don't have forever. You're saying, wait, you said wait on the Lord, right? That's what that whole weird, don't go unless God says yes. Yeah, that's right, that's what I said. But I want you to hear this, that a lot of times we are responding to the urgent because we haven't planned to do the important. What is the most important thing that God could ask you to do? What is the most critical thing that you believe that God wants you to do? Quit putting that aside and doing the little things. I was reading another book this week that said that we all have something in common, and it is this, that when we make a list of the things we've gotta do, 80% of us will check off five or six easy ones first just to get ourselves going on the list. Does anybody else do that? I do. I am not starting with the garage. 
I'm starting with, ooh, wash the front window. That's easy, I'm doing that. Because I want some easy successes, right? But I'm going to tell you in the kingdom of heaven, since I can accomplish nothing in faith without God, I start with the big ones first because I want to see God. And I found that he takes care of the little ones just in the wake of him being him. So I don't have forever. I don't have forever and I don't make plans unless God's in it and God's in it. God opposes the proud. By the way, James chapter four, going back to that first passage, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6, you should write that somewhere. Write that somewhere where you make your promises. And so I make the promises that bring God honor, understanding that God desires powerfully through his power, 2 Thessalonians 1.11, to fulfill every good desire and every work of faith. God intends it. I don't want to get in the way of it. And so when Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, he was looking at us and he was saying, do you intend to fulfill the greatness of God? And my answer has to be yes. That's crazy talk, right? That God somehow wants me to make promises that only he can fulfill, that's faith. Can I pray? Lord God, today we stand here and we just, we, we come under your authority, your sovereignty. Oh, Father, we, we know we are incapable. I can't fulfill the, the promise to pick up the milk. I, I can't fulfill the promise to be on time. I can't fulfill my own promise to my own self to lose the five pounds. Lord, I, I fail so many times. Lord, today what I'm praying is that you give us a vision for the things that you desire to fulfill through us. The, the other things are so small, so minute, but you desire to do the miraculous, the powerful, the important. Lord, in the wake of your will, the little things will take care of themselves. You are such an incredibly loving God. You don't need our help, but you've allowed us to be participators. Father, we love you today. We pray that our yes is yes and that we have very few no's. Lord, fulfill yourself in us. In Jesus' name.